for those of you here for the very first time, we are week eight into a kind of verse-by-verse exposition through the book of James in a series that we've titled Life Authentic, which really just means what would it look like if my life, my heart, my actions, my everything of who I am, if it was authentically following Christ? What if my life matched the things that I say, matched the things that I think, the things that I believed? What if my life could be counted as authentic? And I, I created this kind of concept simply because I felt like so often in my own life, I was living in the middle of mediocrity spiritually. My life was It wasn't being pushed or challenged. I was safe and I was living in the middle of a comfort zone. And I engaged the book of James and I realized that what God was calling me to personally was to risk, was to see all that he was calling me to be, to engage the God that made me and to walk away changed forever. So our challenge as we look at this book of James is to really think about how we can engage in an authentic life. A life that says, Jesus, you have so changed me that you get all of me. For the first few weeks, we really explored this idea, how our words and how our actions, all right, how our words and our actions matched the way that we live. And when that intersects with how we follow Christ, we come across this idea of authenticity. And we talked two weeks ago, in the past two weeks, about faith and how if I truly believe and trust in Jesus the way that I say that I do, what would an authentic faith look like? And this morning, we're going to talk about our words. We're going to look at how James explains to us that words that we say, how they matter. And if our words and the things that we say, the way that we use our tongue, if it was truly a reflection of our relationship with Christ, we would come across this idea of authenticity, that my words matched what I believe and matched how I live. And we'd come across this place of of really living and speaking in authenticity. So this morning we're going to be in the book of James chapter 3. So if you've got it, I want you to go ahead and open it up. As we prepare to kind of uh, dive into these 12 verses, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer, and I mentioned this earlier. <clears throat> I am playing hurt, so I am going to be all over the road. I can already tell you that a little bit. Um, but we're going to try and get through these 12 verses this morning, and, and because we have communion, a few other things going on, I'm going to have to skip over some stuff a little bit that I would really like to spend some time on in order to get to verses 9 through 12, which is really where I want to spend some time this morning. So where I would normally spend a little bit more time, we're going to kind of gloss over it just a little bit um, this morning as we kind of engage this idea of what it would truly mean to speak love with our lives. So before we do that, let's take a moment. Let's just pray this morning. Lord, the truth is we come into this place with all kinds of things, all kinds of issues and struggles. Father, we come into this place this morning with all kinds of thoughts running through our head. Father, some of us are are struggling with things on our home life. Some of us are struggling with personal decisions. Some of us just have a lot on our plate at work or other places. But God, you deserve our undivided heart. You deserve our attention. You deserve our very lives. So Lord, this morning I just pray that we'd be able to let everything else sort of fall by the wayside and give you our heart. So take a moment and just ask God to to move in you this morning. Just whisper and ask God to move in your heart. Take just a moment and pray for someone beside you. <clears throat> Even if you've never seen them before, never met them, just, just pray for them. Pray for somebody beside you. As we say in here all the time, be in the habit of praying for other people. And Lord, I pray that you be bigger than my words this morning. Father, that your word would speak for itself. 
Father, we know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, and so turn our lives upside down as we encounter the truth of Scripture this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to try and get through 12 verses, which is, a, if, if you come here very often, you know that that's probably a lot, because I told Meredith last night, I said, I said, man, I, don't, I just, I don't have much to say today, I, I, you know, I wasn't feeling well, I've got short, and she's like, that's impossible, I've never heard you talk short in your life, and so, so this, we may have to really cut some things out in order to get through these 12 verses, because what tends to happen is I tend to get excited about talking about Jesus, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's time to go, so we're going to try and get through all 12 of these verses, because I really want to spend some time in verses 9 through 12, because they are so powerful. But what we're going to look at is what it might really look like if we understood that the words that we say matter. Now remember, James is writing to a group of believers, Christians, gathered people that are giving their lives to Jesus Christ, and he's talking to them about having an authentic life, an authentic faith, to live as an authentic community that said, we reflect the love of Jesus Christ to the world. And now he's going to say in chapter 3 that your words, the things that you say and how you say them make a huge difference. And as followers of Christ, your life should be about speaking love. All right? So let's look at James chapter 3 this morning. And uh, we'll just kind of work through some of these verses as we go. James chapter 3, we'll start off in the first three or four verses. Here's what he says. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So James starts his process off by saying, listen, the the tongue, right, and the words that we say, this little small muscle in our mouth, is extremely important. And he's saying, listen, brothers, group of Christians, followers of Christ, you shouldn't just presume, presume yourself to be a teacher because teachers will be held with a higher standard. Matthew 23 talks all about it, about those who proclaim the truth will be held to a higher standard. So don't take this for granted because words are extremely important. And he says, not only that, all of us as followers of Christ, we have to understand that our words matter. And then he lifts up a couple of examples and he says this. Think about a horse for a moment. We take a small bit, a little five-inch piece of metal, piece of steel, and we place it in the mouth of a horse. And with a simple tug here or there, we can turn the entire animal. And he goes, think about a ship. He goes, you've got this massive wooden vessel driven by the wind and the waves. And you take a three-foot piece of wood and you stick it in the water. And with that three-foot piece of wood, you can turn the entire ship wherever you want it to go. And he's saying, you've got to understand that words are incredibly important. Your words matter. And I started really thinking about this as I was kind of unpacking this message and thinking through it. Because I don't ever spend a lot of time really thinking about just how important my words are. He says that when we really begin to understand our words and how they matter, we can actually control all of who we are. Now he says this, now believers, listen. He says, if you can control, if you can perfectly control your tongue, you can control your entire body, everything about you. If you can really get a rein on the things that you say, you can control all of this. But James says, listen, it's, it's a near impossibility. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep in check his whole body. 
we started thinking about my words, going, you know, if I was able to control this tongue, this, this muscle, the words that I say, that I could keep the entirety of my life in check, that's how important it is. James says the same way that a vessel is steered by this small rudder, this massive thing, and a horse is, is kind of steered by this little five-inch piece of steel, if you could learn to tame, to control, to rein in your tongue, you could control your whole body. Now hold on to that thought for a minute because we're going we're gonna to ex- explore it in a little different way. But I want you to think about this. I just want you to understand that what you say is incredibly important. The words that you say and how you say them, they make a massive difference in your life as a follower of Christ. <clears throat> okay, so hang on to that thought for one second. We're going to come back to it. Verse 5. Okay, so likewise, the tongue is such a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Now these are some really powerful words, and I want you to listen to them again. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of life on fire, which itself is set on fire by hell. Here's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, even in the life of a believer, the words that you say, if not reined in, if not understood, can be used as a weapon of the enemy. This all hinges on a really important but very deep and kind of simple all at the same time theological concept. And that's this. You and I, as we've talked about in here multiple, multiple times, are totally and utterly sinful. We have got sin that reigns through our body. We are sinful. Even our very nature is totally sinful. And our tongue exposes our sinful nature. It exposes who we are. It is a, it is a vessel for our sin nature to come out. And James is saying that even the tongue sets fire to the whole of our body, which in turn is set fire by hell itself. Because in our very nature, it's totally totally sinfully driven. John chapter 8 says this, that the enemy of this world, the prince of this world, Satan, is the father of all lies. And that our lives are driven by our sinful nature. What James is getting at is this. If we as believers don't understand that our sin nature can come out of us at any moment in time, spoken through our words, we're giving the enemy a foothold in our life when we don't truly understand the power of our words. Now these are really complex things. But John 10.10 says this, that the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, that's the very nature of the enemy. And that when we don't understand that the nature of our words are powerful and they're there, can be used to destroy when we allow our sinful nature to come out of us, we're giving the enemy a foothold in our life. And most of us don't pay attention to the things that we say. We think they're just words. But James is saying they're so vitally important that if not held in check, they can be used by the enemy to expose our sinful nature. But the rest of John 10.10 says this, that The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and life to the full. You know, 1 John says that as believers, we proclaim the word of life. Here's the truth. The word of life, Jesus, will be at war, excuse me, with the 
lies of Satan in your life all the time. It's the very nature of who we are. That the redeemed life that we have in Jesus Christ will be at war with our sinful nature. That Satan will do everything he can to thwart our redeemed life. And James is saying that our words are an entry point to that. That even as believers, we have to understand that our sin nature is at war with our redeemed nature all the time. And that our words, if not held in check, if not reined in, if not understood, can be used as a weapon for the enemy. Now this is really powerful because something has creeped into the life of this early church community. We're going to look at it in just a few minutes, but something has taken hold of this community and, and it's become at war with itself because of its sin nature and the way that words were being used within the church context itself. Now, I don't know about you, but I never really think of my words being that powerful. I never really think that sometimes my words can be used by the enemy to impact the people around me. But even in the lives of believers, our words, if not reined in, if not held in check, if not understood, can become a weapon for the enemy to use. But James says this, listen to that last verse, or that last verse that we were looking at. Chapter 7. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I just sat here and said, if we can rein in, if we can control, if we can get access to the tongue the way that we speak, we can rein it in. But James is saying you can't. We can control the birds of the air and the ships of the sea and all these things, but no man can, rem- can tame the tongue. Why is that? Because you and I, we will always do battle with our sinful nature. James is saying that our sin nature will always be at war. What that means is that we need to understand that our words are so powerful and so important that we are always at war with them and that we need to understand that we have to take captive every single thought and every single word and not presume that just as believers that the things that we say are okay. But that even more so as as followers of Christ, we have to be constantly trying to tame our tongue. Remember in James chapter 1 where he says each of us should be quick to listen and slow to speak. James is getting at this very point where he's saying, listen, if you don't understand how important your words are, they become a foothold for the enemy in your life. Now this is really convicting to me because I don't think often about my words being a foothold for the enemy. I think about the other things in my life, the sin struggles that I have and you know, the things that I think sometimes, and even my actions, but my words, I mean, they're just words, right? James is saying, no way. They matter so deeply that Satan will use them to impact the lives of people around you. And James is speaking directly to the church community. Remember, he's not talking to the, like, whole of all people. He's talking to this gathered group of believers, and he's saying, listen, even amongst yourselves, if not held in check, if not understood, the enemy will use your words. The lies of Satan and the word of life, the truth of Jesus Christ, will be at war in your heart. And what you say matters. In short, he's saying, be aware. Be aware. So listen to this. Listen to what he goes on to say. This is where I really want to get to this morning. With the tongue, verse 9, we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. 
Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. With the tongue we praise our Lord, the Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image. Something has crept into this church community. James is speaking to this group of people, this gathered group of believers, and he's saying, listen, you show up here, you gather together, and you praise God, and you say, yes, Jesus, we love you, here's our heart. Yet with that very same tongue, you curse people. And I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, I mean, you know, surely this doesn't happen in the church community, right? I mean, the church community is that safe place that we have. It's no gossip, no slander, no negative things, none of that takes place in church, The truth is is that you and I both know that the church, sadly, has become a safe place for the lies of Satan. That we stand here on a Sunday morning and we sing and we sing and we sing and we raise, we proclaim our hands and we say, we we raise our hands and proclaim God's truth and we say, God, I love you and I love you. And we sing these words and we take communion, we do all this stuff. We walk 15 feet outside the door and we talk about so-and-so's marriage. We talk about, I can't believe that person's here after all we saw what they did. It was all in the paper. We talk about that person at work. We talk about each other, we gossip. We walk outside this parking lot, and with the same mouth that we use to say, Jesus, I love you, we call our mother that word. Or the same lips that we use to say, Jesus, hear my song this morning, we walk back into our homes and we use the most unloving words to our wives. That with the very same lips that we say, Jesus, I praise you, we destroy the creation that God has made. Now, I know that if you really are hearing these words, there's a little bit of conviction in you. Because maybe it's not happening for you here, but it happens on your cell phone or at work or at wherever. But the words that we use, right, the same words that we use, the same tongue that we use to say, Jesus, I love you, we destroy the people around us. And we gossip, we speak about them. Sometimes it's a language that we use. The filth that comes out of our mouths to people. It doesn't just have to be curse words. It could be the way that we talk about them, the tone that we use. See, what James is saying here is this. The words that you say and how you say them should be a reflection of your heart for Jesus. This whole section and little section in verse th- or, uh, chapter 3 is this. Words are extremely important. Right? We've got to understand that because if we don't, they become a foothold for the enemy. And that your words and how you say them should be a reflection of your love for Christ. Now, this is convicting for me. Because I know that the things that I say and the way in which I say them is not always a reflection of my love for Jesus. That just like you, I walk in these doors and I say, Jesus, hear my heart, I love you. I stand up here and I proclaim God's truth, yet the things I say to people, about people, the language I choose to use sometimes, man, James says, how can this be? Because he's talking to the church community. He's saying your words, they matter so deeply. He goes, you gather in church and you talk about how great God is and you show back up at work and you engage in that. You know, I'm always surprised, and I shouldn't be, but I always am, at how we can walk in this place and sing to the God that gave us life. And yet use the language that we use to our spouses, to our children. James is saying this breaks the very heart of God. In short, he's saying, listen, speak love. Speak love to each other. 
speak love in the tones that you use. Sometimes it's not even the language. It's just the way that we talk to people. Speak love. Now, I know this is one of those little messages that you hear and you say, yeah, it's pretty good, you know, I mean, but really nothing changes. So I want to give you a distinct challenge this week. Two of them are things that I want you to think about and one of them is an action, okay? Just in light of this short, short little message this morning, I know I'm all over the road, but, but I, I want you to hear these things because I think they're really important, okay? Three little challenges. The first one is this. I want you to ask yourself this this week. Over the next seven days, I want you to ask yourself this. Would I say this to Jesus? Now, I know it's kind of a little bit WWJD cheesy, but really I just want you to think about it for a minute. Which is what I'm about to say to my spouse, my coworker, my child, or my, you know, the person on the job site, the language that I use, whatever it is, the joke that I'm about, would I say this to Jesus? What I'm about to tell my daughter, my son, my wife, my mother, whatever, would I say it to Christ? Now, if you really think about that for a moment, it's it's super convicting. Because the truth is, is that like you, I've heard the things that you've said as you walk out in the parking lot. I've heard the things that we say when we stand here at the table. I've heard the way that we talk about people that are in this very room. I've heard the gossip that comes out of our mouths. The question is, would I say this to Jesus? Remember when James 1, I mentioned this earlier, he says we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Maybe we make a commitment this week to listen a little more and speak a little less. Because if I wouldn't say it to Jesus, why would I want to say it? Now, I know that's kind of an oversimplification, but I just want you to try it for seven days. Challenge one, would I say this to Jesus? Challenge two, make a commitment to speak love, and if it's not love, don't say it. Now, I'm serious. I'm not saying, you know, I know that when, when you go to a restaurant and you're going to order your cheeseburger or whatever this week, you know, everything you say can't, but the way that you say things can be said with love. Believe it or not, even the everyday things in our life can be, sa- can be said with care and concern and truth. How you talk to people, how you look them in the eye, how you give attention to them, tells them that you value them. So speak love to people. You don't have to look at everybody you see and say, man, hey, I love you. But the way that you pay attention to them, you listen to them, says I love you. Sometimes when you just look someone in the eye, and say nothing, it speaks love. So this week, I want you to make a commitment to speaking love. Okay, so two, two mental things. One, I'm going to ask myself, would I say this to Jesus? Which is going to mess you up if you really do it, all right? Because you're going to find yourself saying very little, all right? Like me. Like, no, I probably wouldn't say that to Jesus. Sorry. Number two, I'm going to make a commitment to speak in love. If I am going to say it, I'm going to say it in love. And even if I'm not going to say it, I'm going I'm to treat you with love. Start in your home, do it in your workplace, and just for seven days, speak love. And then finally, here's the action one that I want you to do, and I really want you to do this. I want, I want to hear about it. I want you to tell me about it. I want you to come back next week or sometime in the week, shoot me an email, text me, whatever, and just say, this is what I did. And that's this. Identify someone in your life, okay, and do one of two things. A, apologize. Every single one of us has got somebody in our life that we have spoken something to that is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Every single one of us has something in our, someone in our lives that we need to walk up to and say, I am so sorry. It doesn't matter what they've done. I don't care what they've said to you. I don't care what they've done. It does not matter. Your call 
is to apologize to them because you didn't speak in love. So the first thing I want you to do is, A, either identify someone and apologize. And right now you're probably thinking of exactly who that person is, and it may have even happened this morning. I need to just say I'm sorry. No caveats, no disclaimers, no, you know, hey, you know, you said this and I felt this and I shouldn't have said this. Maybe it's been nine years. Apologize. Or B, find someone or identify someone in your life and honor them. Maybe you can't think of anybody you need to apologize to. Great, find someone in your life and honor them. Write them a letter, send them a note, pull them aside and just say, I want to tell you how much I respect you how much I care for you, or how much I love you, or I just want to tell you that you you move me. Find someone in your life that you can honor or speak love into. You know, we all have these little things in our life that we know we need to apologize for or we wish we could make different. You know, I've got a lot of little things like that, but I have one that just totally haunts me. I think I've probably mentioned this before, but it haunts me. You know, my dad died, and I've told this a lot, when he was 23 years old. I remember when I was in the eighth grade. Maybe it was seventh grade. I was going to get basketball shoes. And uh, we were going to the mall to get basketball shoes. And, uh, you know, basketball shoes are expensive. They were expensive back then. They're expensive now. And the big cool thing was like Nike Air Revolutions. It was like the first big Nike shoes, like $110. Back in those days, I mean, that's still a lot of money. But back in those days, it was a fortune. I remember walking to the mall with my dad. And I said, I really want these, these shoes, and, and you know, they're, they're this much money. And, and my dad looked at me, and his comment was, here's the thing. I don't have all that money right now, but if we can wait a couple of weeks, I bet I can put it together and we'll see what we can do. I mean, what an awesome response, right? You know what I said to my dad? I had a friend named Clinton Brinkater, who maybe he's, he's going to listen to this. Clinton was awesome, and his dad had some dollars. And I, looked at, I looked at my dad, and I said, what does Clinton's dad do? My dad said, I don't know, not sure. And I said, I wish you did that. And he didn't say anything. He just kind of walked. And I didn't think about it again until I was like in college. But every part of my body, I mean, I've did so many worse things to my dad. Don't, I mean, that is not the worst. But every part of me right now as a 30-something-year-old <clears throat> guy <laughs> wants to wishes I could look at my dad and say, Dad, I am so sorry for being such an idiot. I am so sorry that my words, that the words I chose to use on that one day, you worked so hard for our family. You didn't look at me and said, no, you said, just give me a little bit of time. And I know that I had to have broken his heart. I know there's probably somebody in your life that you need to look at and say, I'm really sorry. And I don't care what they've done. It doesn't matter. And if not, find someone to honor. So three things. Would I say this to Jesus, right? Would I say this thing that I'm about to say to Jesus? I'm going to make a commitment to speak love. And if I'm not saying words, I'm going to treat you with love. And three, I'm going to find someone to either apologize to in my life or honor. And I want to hear about it. I want you to tell me how it goes. They may look at you and tell you you're crazy, but it doesn't matter. Find someone in your life to write a note to, write a letter to, because the call of an authentic life And our words is one that where our words match our lives, that we learn to speak the love that Jesus has lavished on our lives. And the perfect picture of Jesus' sort of extravagant, groundbreaking love is really poured out in this table that we're going to celebrate this morning. I mean, 
There is no greater picture of God's love than this love that was poured out at this table. Communion is really the expression of this love that Jesus had for us. In the middle of all of our sinfulness and our sin nature, he gave his very life. Gave his very life so that we might have life. I'm always sort of blown away by the kind of habit that we've turned church into. We show up each week and we sing some songs, we shake some hands, we have a donut. We participate in church rituals like they're just something that we do. But communion, this, this meal that we share, it, it revolutionizes what we believe. Because it is, the, it is the perfect picture of a love that was poured out for us. A love that we're called to reflect authentically to the world. That Jesus had such a heartbeat for people that he gathered his disciples and he shared this meal with them in which he prepared them for the fact that he was going to lay down his life. That he was going to the cross and that he was going to give himself for them. And this table is a reminder of not some habit that we celebrate as a church, but the fact that I, Treb Prater, is a sinful, desperate mess and in need of a Savior. And that my God loved me so much that he sent his son to give me life. And he died for me. And that as I take communion and as we share in this meal together this morning, we are celebrating the fact that God's extravagant love overflows 